we started off October uh, in celebration of Halloween with witches and werewolves. And now we're talking about mummies. Mummies in America, actually. Uh, You know, we usually think of like Egyptian mummies, um, you know, with taped up like, you know, zombies. I don't know, something weird. But these, uh, when we say mummies in this sense, these are people who were actually mummified. Um, and just some weird stuff happened. Um, these, unlike, you know, some of the, uh, stories in the last two weeks that are, uh, questionable in their detail and accuracy, uh, these two stories absolutely happened. There is a ton of proof for it and, uh, it is going to get weird. It's our weird world. Our weird world. Welcome to Our Weird World. I'm your host, John Henson, and a little bit of a shorter episode today, um, but I still just wanted to keep the theme going with all of the the Halloween characters, and so we are talking about mummies this week. Um, Two definitely true stories, um, unlike, you know, some of the other ones, you know, that may have been... uh, you know, exaggerated or fabricated to a degree, you know, like, uh, Martin Gare or Thies of Kaltenbrunn, you know, maybe they probably weren't werewolves. Um, but you know, the, the stories were just kind of exaggerated and, and, and turned into, to lure, you know, they, those, those guys probably existed, but they probably weren't actually werewolves. Um, however, uh, the two men we are looking at today were absolutely 100% mummies. And, um, yeah, let's, let's just jump right into it. Story time. On April 29th, 1911, a newly immigrated Italian musician named Cancetto Farmica. I, I'm going to do a, I, I feel like I'm going to do a lot of Italian accents here. And it's, I, I love doing my Italian accent because it just annoys people so much. Um, but yeah, his name was Cancetto Farmica or something like that. There were like four variations of his name, um, probably because, you know, uh, Americans early on and probably still today, just really too lazy to even bother like asking how he spelled it. He's just like, hello, I'm a Cancetto Farmica. I play the music. <laughs> anyway, all right. I'm going to I'm going to try to reel that back a little bit. Um but uh Canchetto was setting up a circus tent in a rural part of South Carolina and during the setup he got into an argument with another carney who then picked up one of the tent spikes and smashed it over Canchetto's head. And immediately Canchetto hit the ground and was rushed to the nearest hospital, which was 20 miles away across the border in North Carolina. Unfortunately, Canchetto was pronounced dead by the time he arrived. The hospital called up the owner of the McDougald Funeral Home and asked them to embalm the body. Canchetto's father, who was actually in America but working for a different circus, rushed in to claim the body but couldn't afford the embalming or to move his son to a cemetery. And so he asked to, uh, you know, he asked the owner of the funeral home for more time and asked if the the funeral home could actually hold on to Canchetto bef- uh, so he could contact the family back in Italy to get more money and to have the body sent back to Italy. Um, 
A few months later, the funeral home received a letter from Italy that actually requested Canchetto be returned to his home country, and under no circumstance was he to be buried in a non-Catholic cemetery because I don't just that's the dumb stuff that people seem to care about. Um, unfortunately for the family, uh, there wasn't a Catholic cemetery anywhere nearby because this was in the South, and the South believes that Catholics are the devil. Uh, I have. Uh, first-hand experience uh, of hearing people say things like that. They didn't say Catholic people are the devil, but there are a lot of Southern people who hold the notion that Catholics aren't real Christians and they're all going to hell. And, you know, if those are the kinds of things that you take the time to think about, that's on you. You do you, but good God, who cares? Um, So when the family, you know, the owner of the funeral home, told you know wrote the family back and told them how much it would cost to send Canchetto back to Italy and at that point they're like hey that's a too much money let him stay in America you know whatever so like they never responded um over time Canchetto's body began to mummify and uh the owner of the funeral home decided that the most respectful thing he could do to uh Canchetto's body was to tie a rope around it and hang it from the wall <laughs> not bury it no no, 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 no. Uh, he, he's just going to tie a rope around it and hang the mummified body from a wall. Um, he then put the mummified body in a glass case with nothing but a loincloth to cover up his privates because, you know, this was still early 20th century America and they still had some decency about themselves. I mean, look, look, we're going to take this dead man's body and we're going to hang it up on the wall. But God forbid, you know, his, his junk is hanging out. That's that's where we draw the line. Um to make it even more degrading, uh, the funeral home started charging people a $10 admission to see the mummified body. And here's the, here's what's crazy about all of this. This went on. This body was on display for, I kid you not, 61 years. And it would have kept going unless uh, this New York politician with Italian heritage uh, looking for some good publicity lobbied the Funeral Directors Association to give the corpse a proper burial. Um, this funeral home, if you're in case you're wondering was, was, I don't know if it's still around, but it was located in Laurenburg, North Carolina, which is, uh, if you're familiar, kind of in the Fayetteville area, kind of close to the South Carolina border, um, pretty rural area. Um, so it's not surprising at all that, you know, they, they would do something like this. Um, the, uh, the funeral directors association followed through and Canchetto was removed from the funeral home and buried in a nearby cemetery. Um, whether it was a non-Catholic cemetery, it was probably a non-Catholic cemetery for being honest. Uh, so, uh, and so that, that's kind of the end of Canchetto's story. Um, you know, he was on display in a North Carolina funeral home for 61 years before Someone finally was like, hey, come on, that's a bad, he's an Italian, you can't do that to an Italian, take an Italian down, put him in the ground. Anyway, um, seven months after uh, Canchetto's death, so we're back in, uh, we're back to 1911. Seven months after Canchetto died, a man named Elmer McCurdy and two accomplices aboarded a freight train uh, that they believed contained $400,000. Uh, instead, they actually boarded a passenger train and made out with only $46, some whiskey, and a few other, you know, smaller valuables. And while that seems disappointing, like this sort of disappointment wasn't new for Elmer, who was most known and most famous for using nitroglycerin to just blow up safes and steal the contents. Um, 
If you're not familiar, nitroglycerin is like a, a chemical compound, I guess, kind of uh, in the same vein as like tannerite, you know, if you're a hunter. Uh, but nitroglycerin, very combustible and causes a lot of big explosions. And although Elmer, you know, who had learned how to use nitroglycerin in the military, he would never really knew how much nitroglycerin to use to destroy something. And so every time he used it, he often ended up accidentally destroying most of the money that he was trying to steal out of the safes that he was blowing up. So three days after this failed robbery, a sheriff's posse found Elmer and shot him in the chest, killing him. Uh, his body was taken to Pawhuska, Oklahoma, where it went unclaimed. And that's where this whole train robbery took place. Um, Joseph Johnson, the owner of the funeral home where Elmer was being held, embalmed his body, shaved his face, and put him in a suit. And then, just like the funeral home director in North Carolina, Johnson refused to bury the body until he was paid for the work. And when no one came forward to claim Elmer um, or pay Johnson for the work, Johnson decided to put the corpse on display as an exhibit and charge admission to collect the money that he would have otherwise earned. Uh, He dressed Elmer in an old-timey Western suit, put a rifle in his hands, and stood him up in the corner. And he went on to, and this is crazy, like, how different things were. Whereas the guy in North Carolina charged $10, uh, Johnson went on to charge just five cents to see, quote, uh, the bandit who wouldn't give up. So, um, you know, Johnson, probably not the best businessman in, in this story. Uh, James Patterson, however, who was the owner of the Great Patterson Carnival Show, uh, heard about the exhibit and formed a scheme to get the body to add to his traveling circus. Um, You know, he didn't, you know, he didn't think to claim the body or just pay Johnson upright or outright for the body. He's just like, nah, I'm going to trick this guy and and steal it. Uh, You know, and so. Uh, Five years after the exhibit started, Patterson contacted Johnson claiming to be Elmer's brother and asked him if he could come retrieve the body to take back to San Francisco for a proper burial. Johnson agreed, and so Patterson and his brother arrived the next day posing as Elmer's family. The two men loaded Elmer onto a train, and instead of shipping him to San Francisco like they said they were going to do, they sent him to Arkansas City, Kansas instead. Uh, Elmer then spent the next 17 years as a mummy, uh, as part of this, as part of Patterson's circus until he was acquired in 1933 by Dwayne Esper to promote his film narcotic. Uh, Esper set Elmer's body on display in the lobby of a movie theater as part of the promotion. Like such a crazy different time back then. Like now you go to a movie theater and it's just a poster. Maybe it's a cardboard cutout, but this dude had a real live mummified human body in the movie theater for the premiere like god just what a what a time to be alive back then um by this point however uh elmer's body was not only mummified but it had actually shrunken down to the size of a child and which was probably even creepier you know it's like this benjamin button sort of situation where it's clearly this grown man but he's like been shriveled up and shrunken down and he's like the size of a kid oh it's weird um After spending another 16 years in the circus, Elmer was then placed in a storage warehouse in Los Angeles. In 1976, after being used as a prop in various museums, Elmer was sold to Ed Lirsch, uh, part owner of the Pike Amusement Park in Long Beach, California, where he was then hung inside a funhouse. All of the gross things in traveling circuses and carnivals, like you're going to have a real mummy, like a real mummified body in a funhouse. That's gross. 
<laughs> um, later that year in 1976, a production crew was shooting an episode of the $6 million man and they used the fun house for a scene. Uh, Elmer never actually made it onto the episode because when a production assistant went to move Elmer thinking that it was just a wax mannequin, Elmer's arm broke off and, you know, leaving like his, his rotten bones and muscle like exposed and, you know, after the production assistant likely just vomited everywhere, the uh, the the body was taken to the Los Angeles coroner's office, who determined that it was in fact a real person, and Elmer was uh, eventually identified and finally buried in Guthrie, Oklahoma, on April twenty second, nineteen seventy seven, and that is the story of your two mummies. So there you go. Uh, probably not what you were thinking, you know, like, you know, no, the mummies did not come back to life and start acting like zombies or whatever. I don't know. That's the, that's the image that I always had as a, of a mummy, you know, where, or like the horrible Brendan Fraser movie, the mummy, and then the mummy returns. And then for a second, I was about to say the rock was in those, but that was the scorpion King. There was like a rash of Egyptian themed movies back then, like around, I don't know what it would have been like the late nineties, early two thousands. I don't know why I'm going down this rabbit hole anyway, but, um, yeah, you know, these two guys, ironically in the same year, um, uh, one in North Carolina, one in Oklahoma, um, died and then were unclaimed and were just put on display as mummies, you know? And I, I wonder like how rampant that was. You know, it just these two stories made it out. Um, so, yeah, let's let's see what we learned today. What did we learn? Number one, uh, yeah, you better make sure you have some family members who not only love you but can afford to pay a funeral home. Otherwise, you're going to end up on display and just completely robbed of all dignity, which I mean, you're dead. Who cares? But, you know, maybe it's maybe it's a problem for your family. Uh, Number two, people used to not think about how gross it was to have a dead human body on display out in public. You know, whether it was in a movie theater or hanging up in a funhouse somewhere, um, you know, just. Man, just a lawless society that we used to live in. Uh, And number three, uh, a little something different um, in that you haven't learned yet, but you're about to. Um, Because it was rural North Carolina and people are just kind of of mean, um, no one could actually say, Cancheto Farmica. And so instead, uh, he was on display as Spaghetti, the mummy. Next week on Our Weird World, I, <laughs> I even I'm not looking forward to doing this episode. Uh, it is the story of David Parker Ray, and oh boy, <laughs> if you thought 
like Albert Fish or Andre Chikatilo were bad, you you are not remotely prepared for next week's story. Uh, I saved it for the end of October to actually give you a truly scary story to head into Halloween with. Um, it's going to be brutal. And um, yeah, that, that's all I can say. So I uh, hope you guys have enjoyed it so far. Thank you for listening. Tell all your friends and keep it weird. Hey everybody, it's the Concetto Farmica. I'm just a mommy sitting here in the box in a really weird water pot in North Carolina. My family don't have no money for me. Will you please come help? Or maybe, maybe I'll just sit here naked almost. Maybe everybody call me spaghetti because I'm Italian and Italian love spaghetti. Ooh, big freaking deal. I'm surprised they didn't call me a pizza. Call me a pizza pie, a little margarita pizza pie. But no, they call me spaghetti, the most boring Italian pasta. At least they call me something special, like a penne, or a rotini, or a fettuccine, or a linguine.